0: And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And G- Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell. And he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Lo, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life, but many that are first will be last, and the last first.
1: Most people today do not believe in the cause of foreign missions. Walbert Buhlmann, a Catholic mission secretary in Rome, speaks for many mainline Protestant denominational leaders when he says quote in the past we had the so-called motive of saving souls we were convinced that if not baptized people in the masses would go to hell now thanks be to God we believe that all people in all religions are already living in the grace and love of God and will be saved by God's mercy time magazine December 82 sister Emmanuel working in Cairo, Egypt, says, Today, we don't talk about conversion anymore. We talk about being friends. My job is to prove to people that God is love and to bring them courage. Most people today, like these two missionaries, do not submit themselves to the authority of God in the Bible and instead create out of their own imaginations and desires A God according to what they would like Him to say. And since people do not want to hear God say that people are lost and condemned when they do not believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus, therefore they create a God who, in fact, says they don't have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, nor even hear about Him. But essential teachings of the Bible have to be surrendered in order to believe in that kind of a God. Listen to what the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, said when he called the Apostle Paul into his service. I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you to serve and bear witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles, to whom I will send you. To open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That is an empty and meaningless commission. If the nations have no need of their eyes being opened by the sending of the apostle, if the nations have no need of turning from darkness to light, if they have no need of escaping the power of Satan to God, if they have no need of the forgiveness of sins that comes through the preaching of the word by his ambassadors. Paul did not become a missionary to Asia and Macedonia and Greece and Rome and Spain in order to inform people that they were already saved. He became a missionary in order to inform them that salvation had been accomplished on the cross for all who repent and turn to Christ in the obedience of faith. And so when his message about Christ is rejected, for example, in Antioch by the Jews, Paul says very forthrightly, Since you thrust the word of God from you and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, I turn to the Gentiles. What is at stake in the missionary cause to the unreached peoples of this earth is eternal life. Conversion to Christ from all other allegiances is at stake in the missionary cause. For there is salvation in no other, for no other name is under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, save the Lord Jesus Christ. God is not unjust. Not one person will be condemned for not believing a message they have not heard. Those who have never heard the gospel will be condemned for their failure to own up to the light of God's grace in their own conscience and in nature. For the Scripture says, Ever since the creation of the world, His invisible nature, namely His eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give thanks to Him. Apart from special, saving grace, all men on this earth are dead in sin, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, and hardened in heart, according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.1 and 4.18. And the means that God has ordained for the ministration of that saving grace is nothing other than the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by missionaries. I am a debtor to both the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the gospel, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The notion that people are saved apart from the gospel and apart from faith in Jesus Christ has decimated the cause of missions in mainline denominations. Between 1953 and 1980, the foreign missionary force of mainline denominational churches dropped from 9,844 to to 2,813, while the missionary force of evangelical Protestants who put more stock in the Scriptures tripled in that same period. The Christian Missionary Alliance Church, with 200,000 members, supports 40% more missionaries than the United Methodist Church, with 9 million members, which is a testimony to the power of faith in the Scriptures. Many of you in this building right now are on the brink of setting some new course in your life. Some new course of commitment to missions. Some new commitment to go to a hidden people. Some new commitment to a new path of education. Others a new commitment to a new vocation or the same vocation in a new place which is not so saturated by the church others' commitment to a new lifestyle, a new pattern of giving, a new pattern of reading and praying and studying and support. And I, this morning, have set myself this goal to push you over the brink. I want to make the cause of mission so attractive that you can no longer resist its magnetism. And all I have to do is lay it before you to do that, I think. There are... For a Christian hedonist, two incentives in this text, which if they are believed, are irresistible. Mark ten twenty-five to 27 is the first one. So let's read that together. Mark 10, 25 to 27. Jesus said, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible. Nobody can be. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. That is one of the most encouraging and exciting missionary conversations in all the Bible. What missionary has not looked on his work and said, It's impossible. I can't do it. To which Jesus responds, Yes. That's absolutely right. No mere man can liberate another man from the enslaving bondage of the love of money. The rich young ruler went away downcast because he had great riches and loved them very much. And he could not be saved. It was impossible with man. Therefore, missionary work, which is simply the liberating of the human heart from bondage to all other allegiances other than Christ, is impossible work. Impossible work with men. With men it is impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with Him, and therein lies an in- Comparable incentive for missions. Noel and I were at Urbana '67. Was a great one. I was a junior in college. We were madly in love. So we went together. Now, I remember John Alexander standing up, the head of intervarsity, and saying. When I was young and about to go into missionary service, I said, if predestination is true, there is no way I could be a missionary. And then he said, but now after two decades of service, I say, if predestination is not true, there is no way I could be a missionary. If God is not in charge in this affair of doing the humanly impossible task of the missionary, the missionary's work is hopeless. Forget it. Who but God can raise the spiritually dead and give them an ear for the gospel? The great biblical doctrines of unconditional election, predestination unto sonship, Irresistible grace in the preaching of Christ are mighty incentives for the church to venture forth among Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and tribal cultures which seem like nails and stone to the gospel. For we know that where God wills, He can shatter all resistance and open the human heart to the gospel. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. The sheep will hear my voice. And therefore, when Paul enters a city on his missionary journeys, he knows his aim to gather the sheep, to find them. The Lord said to Paul in a vision as he entered the city of Corinth, Do not be afraid, but speak, do not be silent, for I have many people in this city. Find them! And when Paul was finished preaching in the city of Antioch, Luke describes the result like this. As many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. And so it will always be. The missionary who goes armed with the great truth of predestination and irresistible grace goes with the confidence that God will do today for others what he did for Lydia when Paul preached by the river near Philippi, the Lord, the Lord opened her heart to give heed to what was said by Paul. When it comes to entering the kingdom, there are two truths. One, with man it is impossible. Nobody will be saved. And the other is, with God All things are possible. Therefore, all who are appointed unto eternal life will believe and be saved. And therein is a power and an incentive and a confidence for missions that cannot be surpassed. How else can you have the confidence to go to North Africa? Where the gospel has been resisted for century after century after century. David Brainerd, the understudy of Jonathan Edwards, whose journal and diary has done more to foster the cause of missions in the last 200 years than any book besides the Bible, said that he lived for two things my sanctification and the ingathering of God's elect. What a power! It had in David Brainer's life as well as George Whitfield, and Spurgeon and Edwards and Cary. So the first incentive to missionary service is the great encouragement that when we leave home for Christ and the gospel, the conversions we seek will be God's work according to God's eternal plan. One plant's Another waters, but only one, only one God gives life and growth. What is impossible for us is not impossible for God. And what a thrill to walk into a village on your first missionary venture dominated by Satan and sin and enslaved to superstition and false religion, and hear God saying in your ear, Speak. Do not be afraid, for I have many people in this village. Find them. The second incentive for becoming a missionary is verses 28 to 30. Peter began to say to him, Lo, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. That text does not mean that if you become a a missionary you will get materially rich. At least not in the sense that your own private possessions will increase. It means Probably first, that if you are deprived of your earthly family in the cause of Christ, you will be repaid a hundredfold in your spiritual family, the church. I said to the staff as we were praying before the service, I feel like I've got a hundred mothers and brothers and sisters and children. But I don't think that's the limit of the meaning of this text. What about the lonely missionary who labors for years surrounded not by a hundred brothers and sisters, mothers? Isn't the promise true for him too? Surely it is. Surely what Christ means is that he himself will make up for every loss in the cause of Christ. If you give up a mother's nearby affection and concern, you're going to get back 100 times as much affection and concern from the living and ever-present Christ. If you give up the warm comradeship of that favorite brother, you're going to get back 100 times the warmth and camaraderie of your elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you give up the sense of at-homeness that you just love so much by the fire in that house that you bought, you're going to get back 100 times the comfort and security of knowing that your ever-present Lord owns every house, every tree, every stream, every land in the place where you go to serve Him. Isn't what Jesus is saying to prospective missionaries with this text, this, I promise you, I promise you that if you leave home for my sake and the Gospels and serve me on some frontier mission, I will work So hard for you and be so much for you that when you get to the end of your life, you will not be able to say you have sacrificed anything. Isn't that the point of this text? I promise so to work and to be for you that you will not be able ever to say, I sacrificed. That's what Hudson Taylor thought it meant, because at the end of 50 years of mission service with manifold persecutions and loss of loved ones and suffering in China, he said, I never made a sacrifice. Bless his heart. Christ aims to be glorified in the great missionary enterprise, and therefore he intends to remain benefactor and to keep us in the lowly position of beneficiary. Even if you are called into the service of Christ as a missionary, you remain an invalid in His sanatorium. You still have need of a good physician with you, attending you day by day. You still are poverty-stricken in need of a wealthy patron. So when He sends you to Liberia or Cameroon, or Brazil, or Japan, or India, or China. His sending is part of your therapy. He says, Now I know that there are some negative side effects to this prescription. There will be persecutions. But I promise you, as your doctor... I promise you that even in those negative side effects, you will find that your condition improves 100-fold. If you follow my missionary prescription, and don't reject it, missionaries are not heroes who can boast in great sacrifices for God. They are the true Christian hedonists. They are the ones who know that the battle cry of Christian hedonism is missions. They are the ones who have discovered the simple truth that there is 100 times more joy 100 times more satisfaction in leaving home for Christ and the gospel than a life devoted to security, comfort, and worldly advancements. Ralph Winter wrote a little booklet called Say Yes to Missions in 1970, which I read yesterday again. Here are his last sentences. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. To follow him is your choice. You are warned. But don't forget the joy. Close quote. J. Campbell White was a layman who did not go but was part of that great movement in the early decade of the 20th century and wrote in 1909 for the layman's missionary movement that undergirded the great student volunteer movement with funds fame pleasure riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of His eternal plans. Don't forget the joy. I do not appeal to you this morning to screw up your courage and make any sacrifice for Jesus Christ. I had enough of that preaching when I was young that said constantly, do God's will, not your will, and never told me that my will might be thrilled to obey God. Which it is today, in spite of all that preaching. I appeal to you to renounce everything in order to have the pearl of pearls. I appeal to you to count everything as rubbish for the surpassing value of standing in the service of the King of Kings. I appeal to you to give up all your tattered store-bought clothes in order to clothe yourself with the royal robes of the ambassador of the king. I promise there will be persecutions. I promise there will be privations. But don't forget the joy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake theirs is the kingdom of heaven now I want to close with two incentives in summary and then two statements about Bethlehem first we've seen that everything that looks like an impossibility to men is a snap for God The conversions of the hardest sinners on the hardest fields of the world are God's work, and He will do them. Second, God promises to work for you and to be for you so much that when you come to the end of your missionary life, you will not be able to say you've sacrificed anything. Instead, you would have discovered That by obeying Him, your condition in life, from God's vantage point, has improved one hundredfold. Now, there are two reasons why I think God is about to do something surprising in missions at Bethlehem Baptist Church. The first one is that there are some unusual stirrings of the Spirit. Here are a few. Glenn Ogren was drawn off our staff because his heart was irresistibly drawn to missions. Tonight, we will commission David and Faith Yeager who will go to Liberia on Tuesday. The first couple to be commissioned as a new sending couple from Bethlehem since Steve Nelson. And that was about ten years ago, I think. Frontier Mission Prayer and Study Group, Toshaphim, Missions Ministry Team, are studying, praying, and dreaming how they can make Bethlehem a world church. The women's missionary circles remain and continue to be a steady, sturdy base of prayer and education. Tom Steller is weighing the possibility of taking a team of people next summer to the U.S. Center for World Mission in a course of study in the Institute for International Studies. And Ralph Winter, the founder and head of the U.S. Center for World Mission and one of the most foremost statesmen in missions today, has agreed to be our keynote speaker at this missionary conference next year. And I sense that between now and November 84, the wave will not break. It will build. These developments at Bethlehem have not been engineered by anybody. They are the evidences of a new work of God's Spirit among us. And many of you have been praying faithfully over the years to the Lord of the harvest, and I believe that the first fruits of your prayer are visible. And here's the final reason why I think God is going to do a surprising work at Bethlehem in the years to come and the not-too-distant future. The extraordinary need of the world is becoming increasingly clear to you and to me, and you are not the kind of people who will be able to stay the same once the need becomes as clear as it has been to some. Satan's great lie in the last generation has been to convince the Church that the, the Great Commission has been fulfilled. People have looked at the word nations in Matthew 28, 19, where it says, or 28, 19, and 20, where it says, make disciples of all the nations. They have confused it with the political realities in the world today called nations. They say then that there are Christians in every nation today, and therefore the job is done. Failing to realize that that Jesus did not have in mind political entities of the 20th century. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says, Worthy art thou to take the scroll, to open its seals, for thou wast slain, and by thy blood didst ransom men for God from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. When Jesus commissioned His church to evangelize the world, He did not have in mind 20th century political entities. He had in mind culturally distinct peoples. And there are 16,000 of them yet to be evangelized in this world, making up almost half or a little more than half of the world's population. If every Christian in the world today won every single one of his neighbors to the Lord... Half the world would be unevangelized because half the world is found in culturally distant people groups who do not have viable witnessing churches in those groups. They are the hidden peoples, the frontier missions of the last great surge of the church. And the only way they can be reached is by cross cultural missionaries. The day of foreign missions is not over. On the contrary, we are on the brink of a new movement in Western and Third World churches to penetrate the last frontiers. And there must be a student movement
0: and a rallying of lay people
1: for that to be accomplished in our generation.